is Histories and Mysteries Uncovered. I'm Ashley. And I'm back. Yay! <laughs> As you can tell by my voice, I'm still a little bit sick. But you're so, doing better. But I'm doing much better. Good. My family has since got what I got. Oh, no. <laughs> Poor things. Your whole family. Poor family. So it's okay. We go. um, we're good. We're, oh, we're good. We're just doing our thing. You're just so. hanging in there. Yeah. So... <laughs> On this week's episode, Ashley is going to be talking about Gypsy Rose Blanchard. Mm-hmm. She's, I know it's kind of like, eh, they're just riding on the coattails. But in my defense, I don't know much about her story. So, yes, this one was requested by Jessica. So, yeah, this was all <laughs> me. Okay. <laughs> and then since it was Edgar Allan Poe's birthday on Friday, I have decided to talk about him. I'm going to be talking about his life, his death, the theories behind it all, because it was a wild ride. I'm excited because I honestly don't know anything about Edgar. I know he's creepy, you know, obviously, and yeah. he wrote a bunch of awesome things, but that's really all I know. Yeah. And I don't even like get into like the creepy stuff very much. It's just, mm-hmm. it's mostly about his life and it's wild. Okay. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of cool. But he's also kind of like ick. So um that's a bummer. Yeah. I mean, Kyle says, you know, it was it was normal for that time, but it's still kind of icky to me. Didn't so. he marry his first cousin or something? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And she was like 14. She was 13. 13. Okay. So I guess I do remember a little bit more than I had yeah. anticipated. And yeah. and Kyle says, Oh, that was normal for back then. But if it was normal for back then, they wouldn't have put her age as 21 years old on the marriage certificate. So, <laughs> so to me, that doesn't seem very normal. Yeah. Yeah. That's ugh. Yeah. So I got the ick there. But yeah, I do remember that now. Yeah. Yeah. So this week's going to be a longer episode, I think. I think so too. We kind of owe it to you guys. Yeah. Last week was a little shorter, but. We're back. And um, like Jessica said, you know, I know some people are getting a little gypsy rosed out because she's everywhere. But for those of you who live under a rock and don't know what happened, I'm going to give you a good (laughs) overview of everything. Sweet. And I got my sources from Biography, (laughs) ABC News, MSN, All That's Interesting, Mm -hmm. CNN, Oxygen, and The Wrap. Holy crap, you went all out. I did. I had a lot of sources in here because there's just a lot of information. And it's kind of all over the place. So some of them did a really, really high overview. Some of them did just, you know, health stuff. Some did just jail stuff. So I kind of had to jump around a bit. Okay. I'm excited. I don't know anything about her. So and I want to know your thoughts. I have a lot of thoughts. Okay. (laughs) I do too. From the limited information I have. Yeah. And she does, if you're all wondering, she does have a TikTok that you can follow her on. Yes. So we'll we'll talk a little bit about that at the end. But I started this out talking directly to Jessica. (laughs) Oh, I love you too. (laughs) I said... I'm sure by now you've heard of Gypsy Rose and how she was just released from prison and already got herself canceled, but we'll talk about that later. 
Anywho, if you live under a rock, like I'm assuming Jessica does, because I'm assuming <laughs> she doesn't know what happens in this story. <laughs> I I know. I know the bullet points. Yeah. Yeah. So for some of this, we're going to get into a little bit more detail in case you are like Jessica and only know the bullet points. Gypsy Rose Blanchard, now Gypsy Rose Elisada Blanchard Anderson, was born July 27th, 1991 to, this is the first issue in this whole story. Are you ready for this? To 24-year-old Claudine, a.k.a. Dee Dee, and 17-year-old Rod Blanchard. Uh-oh, what? Yeah. What? So her mom was 24 and her dad was 17. Oh, no. Yeah. So because they got pregnant with Gypsy, they got married and they didn't stay together long. They split up before Gypsy was even born. And Rod said he just kind of one day it hit him and he's like, this is not this is not what I want. I I married her because she was pregnant, but I, I'm not in love with Dee Dee. Like, this isn't what I want. But so they split up his child. Yeah. He stays in Gypsy's life. Okay. That's yeah. Good at least. Yeah. Uh, that's my next sentence. But Rod stays in Gypsy's life. <laughs> and remembers at just three months old, Dee Dee was insisting that Gypsy had sleep apnea. What? She started taking Gypsy on the first of her many, many hospital visits. Doctors would keep three-month-old Gypsy overnight in the hospital and run sleep tests on her, but they didn't find any results that would make them think that Gypsy had sleep apnea. But Dee Dee kept insisting. Do you go into, like, the mental wellness of Dee Dee at all? Um, A little bit. Okay. Yeah. Just because there's got to be something there. Yeah. A little bit. So Dee Dee would tell Rod that Gypsy had sleep apnea, even though the doctor said she didn't. And she also told Rod that Gypsy had a chromosomal defect, but she didn't ever really specify what. So that was a really good excuse for her to be able to make Gypsy have whatever she wanted her to have. Eventually, Dee Dee started lying to doctors. She told them that Gypsy had seizures at home. So they put her on anti-seizure medication, which she did not need. Dee Dee really started into it at this point. By the time Gypsy was eight, her mother said she had muscular dystrophy, epilepsy, and even leukemia. She even had Gypsy using a walker. And to keep all of these lies straight, Dee Dee had to be extremely controlling and extremely deceitful. Rod Mm -hmm. remembers that Dee Dee would only let him visit sporadically, saying things like, oh, you know, Gypsy isn't feeling well today. And even when he did visit, Dee Dee would be there the whole time. And this was commonplace. Anywhere Gypsy went, Dee Dee had to be there the entire time. And to the outside, this made Dee Dee just look like an amazing mom, you know, caring for this sick child with all these health issues. Yes. So do you get into it at all on how, because I'm assuming she was heavily medicated. Gypsy? Yes. Yeah. So does it go into detail at all at how that actually affected her? Like, did she actually feel sick or was she just 
We'll talk about it a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She, Dee Dee would even have gestures for Gypsy. So if they were talking to someone and she didn't want Gypsy to say something, she would squeeze Gypsy's hand or she would give Gypsy a hug, which were ways of controlling Gypsy and controlling the conversation. Gypsy recalls being on a motorcycle with her grandpa and she fell off and just kind of like scraped her knee. No big deal. But after that, her mom said that she needed a wheelchair. She also, Dee Dee would also shave Gypsy's head to keep up the appearance of her having cancer and going through chemo. She had Gypsy on a feeding tube. She had her salivary glands removed and she started to have her teeth pulled when they started to rot due to all the medications that Gypsy was on and probably the removal of her salivary glands. What? Yeah. And apparently, I mean, I've never had one, but I guess feeding tubes are pretty painful. They're painful. Yeah. That's insane. And why about the salivary glands? I don't know what that was about. I tried to find a lot more information on the medical aspect of things. The, the issue is I don't think anybody really knows too well because she went to so many different doctors. You know, it's not like she was sharing this information with anybody saying, you know, I'm doing this because of this, this, and this. And, you know, unfortunately she's, she's dead. So. Okay. Hold up. All of this is like psychotic in of itself. Yes. But who the fuck were these doctors? Mm. We'll talk a little bit about how she got around those doctors too. Are you freaking kidding me? Yeah, I know. I think her, Gypsy's dad and stepmom are in the process of trying to sue some of the doctors. Good, because yeah. that's fucking insane. Yeah. You're going at a kid that has literally nothing wrong with them. Mm-hmm. Because you would have had to do so many tests mm-hmm. in order to determine this shit. And you're telling me that you did none of it and that you just did it because it was asked of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, women can't even have their uterus ripped from their bodies because they don't want babies. Yep. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great point. <laughs> I'm really mad right now. Jesus Murphy. And it gets worse because not only all of that, but she had several surgeries, which is where, like, where the doctor thing really gets me. Like, I can see her going in. Like, I get the seizure medicine. Like, you go in and you say, hey, she hasn't, she's having seizures at home. Obviously, that's not something that they're always going to see. So they believe her. I can kind of see some of that stuff. But the surgeries, like, how that gets me. Yeah. How? How did she convince? Anywho. Oh, <laughs> that's my next sentence. But how did Dee get all these doctors? <laughs> We're to do ahead these of ourselves today. <laughs> <laughs> how did she get these doctors to do all of these things to her daughter when tests would come back like inconclusive or negative? Well, Dee Gypsy, was- come on our podcast. Oh, gosh. That'd be so cool. <laughs> that'd be so cool. Um, Dee Dee was a nurse's aide for a while. And she worked at a hospital. So she knew the symptoms that these diseases she wanted Gypsy to have would have. She also knew some of the drugs that she could give Gypsy that would mimic these diseases. 
and she would steal some of them from the hospital. There it is. She even, when Gypsy would go to the doctor, she was very quick to answer their questions using correct medical terminology. So she sounded like she knew what she was talking about. She sounded like she cared. She sounded like her daughter had really been diagnosed with these things because now she knew the medical terms for them. She even kept a binder with all of Gypsy's medical medical information. So she looked like any other mom that has a chronically ill child. Yeah, because I guess Google wasn't around, right? Right. She also allegedly stole medicine from the hospital. Yeah, I already said that. I got ahead of myself again. If a doctor started asking too many questions or didn't give Dee Dee what she wanted, Dee Dee would leave and find another doctor. So she was also jumping from doctor to doctor to doctor, which would also make faking, not faking, but medical records harder to get for these doctors. Which is something we can't do in Canada. You can't go to different doctors? No. We have like a family doctor. And even then there's like a huge wait list for them. Oh, so you get like, one family doctor and you have to stick with them? Yeah. Oh. You can try and find another one, but you have to go through a system and then they match you to the next available doctor. Oh. Yeah. And then you have to have referrals to specialists and even that takes months upon months, sometimes years. Wow. We have to have referrals too to specialists, but as far as a lot of times it is determined by your insurance company with who who they're going to accept but as far other than that we can pick whoever we want it's kind of lucky but also good when you can't especially with this kind of situation yeah she did he would even gain more sympathy by telling people that gypsy's father was a druggie who abandoned them which wasn't true at all but because Dee Dee was in need of several different doctors all of the time, it caused them to move a lot. And at one point, she was living with her father and stepmom, her Dee Dee and Gypsy. When they, uh, the father and stepmom started to question whether or not Gypsy needed to be in a wheelchair. And Dee Dee was like, oh, guess I better move. So she moved out. Also, oddly enough, during this time, Dee Dee's stepmom became ill continuously and got better when Dee Dee left. It's believed. Oh, no. Yeah. It's believed that Dee Dee was poisoning her with Roundup. What's that? It's a weed killer. Oh, I do know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> At this time, Dee Dee was also arrested for writing bad checks and other smaller crimes like that. And apparently this was pretty commonplace for Dee Dee. Even growing up, she was kind of a horrible person she would steal she would uh you know hurt people they even think that Dee, Dee killed her own mom she was her Dee, Dee was taking care of her mom for a while and her mom ended up dying and they think that Dee, Dee basically kind of starved her to death holy shit mm-hmm so after they moved out of Dee Dee's mom and stepdad's house, they moved closer to New Orleans. And then something horrible but wonderful for Dee Dee happened. Hurricane Katrina. 
During this devastation, Dee Dee decided to use it to her advantage because, oops, all of Gypsy's medical records and birth certificate were destroyed in the hurricane. Oh, my God. So this gave Dee Dee complete medical control and knowledge over her daughter because she could go to a doctor and be like, yeah, my daughter was diagnosed with leukemia, but I can't show you the records because they were destroyed. Because things weren't digital back then. Exactly. Oh, man. Using her daughter's health issues and the fact that they survived Hurricane Katrina, Dee Dee was given a lot of charity. She was able to get assistance to move to Aurora, Missouri in 2005, and Habitat for Humanity built them a whole house. They built a special wheelchair ramp and a jacuzzi for Gypsy's various needs. They also got tickets to go see and meet Miranda Lambert and Blake Shelton. And Make-A-Wish took them to Disney World. I forgot those two were married. Oh, yeah. I forgot that, too. (laughs) I was just like, oh, two country music stars. That's cool. (laughs) And now he's married to a pop star. (laughs) Are they married yet? I think so. Oh. Oh, well. I think they got married a while ago. Yeah. Through all of this, when Gypsy was about 14, so about 2005, one doctor did suspect Munchausen by proxy and even wrote it up, but never reported it because he didn't think there was enough evidence. And I write, which is that really his call to make? They are mandated reporters. He should have reported that. And then whoever does the investigation into it decides if there's enough evidence or not. Like, that's insane to me. And I think. Yeah. That's crazy. Also, Blake Shelton and Gwen Stefani got married in 2021. Oh, okay. And Gwen Stefani is 54 and Blake Shelton is 47. Oh, that's not bad. It's crazy. And I think that this doctor is one of the ones that they're trying to sue. Oh, okay. For not reporting. So another spot where Gypsy just fell through the cracks right yeah always in missouri Dee Dee didn't work because she was busy taking care of her daughter full-time she told gypsy that they lived on social security disability checks and food stamps but come to find out gypsy's dad was actually paying child support this whole time but obviously Dee Dee had told gypsy that he didn't want to be in her life Their story tugged on the heartstrings of so many people, and Gypsy and Dee Dee became kind of local celebrities. Gypsy would give speeches around the country, you know, for Rally for Life and different organizations like that. And they would receive gifts and stuff from, uh, you know, Good Samaritans, and including Miranda Lambert. She gave them some money, I think. Dee Dee would tell people that Gypsy had a cognitive delay and had the ability of around a seven-year-old, even though she was mentally fine. And she would continue to perpetuate this lie by closely monitoring everything Gypsy said, again, using that hand squeeze and the hug to control the conversations. As Gypsy got older and became a teen, she started wondering about regular teen things because she was a regular teen girl. She started to think about friends and boys and dating, but her mother had strict control over her. Gypsy and Dee Dee did make friends with their neighbors, 
in their Missouri house. And Gypsy and the neighbor girl, Aaliyah Woodmancy, became close. Gypsy would ask her different questions about boys and dating. And Aaliyah said she would show interest in like different boys and try to ask me advice on like, you know, how do you approach them? How do you kiss a boy? Gypsy just wanted to be a regular teen. When Dee Dee heard about the types of conversations they were having, she destroyed Gypsy's laptop and Gypsy's phone so that she couldn't contact Aaliyah anymore. This literally goes beyond what I thought. Yeah, it's bad. I thought it was just, you know, the medical stuff. Yeah. But it's very emotionally abusive. and Yes. That's insane. Dee Dee did not want Gypsy to have any contact with anyone from the outside world. She needed to protect this life of lies she created. At one point, Rod called on Gypsy's 18th birthday to wish Gypsy a happy birthday. And Dee Dee said he couldn't because Gypsy thought she was 14 and didn't want to confuse her. Sorry, what? Yeah. So Dee Dee was like, no, Gypsy, you know, she doesn't understand. She thinks she's only 14. So I don't want to confuse her. How old was she really? 18. What? Yeah. This and this is a big aspect of of everything is Gypsy really didn't know how old she was for a long time. It's crazy. Even though Gypsy, even though Dee Dee wanted Gypsy to have the mentality of a much younger girl, Gypsy was a growing woman. And as with most teenagers, she started to question authority and fight back. And by fight back, you know, I mean, argue. And the more Gypsy tried to pull away, the more Dee Dee tried to pull her in. Gypsy said it would go into an argument that would last a couple days, or it could be something where she wouldn't, wouldn't feed me for two days or so. It started to be physical in 2011. She would hit me with coat hangers sometimes. But Gypsy never fought back. And she said it was because she was afraid to. And I mean, if you think about it, Gypsy didn't have any real medical issues, but she had been on all these medicines for years. She had been using a wheelchair most of the time. Even if she tried to physically fight back, there was no way she was a match for a grown woman. Well, and she was also very like I said, emotionally abused. Absolutely. So why would you think yeah. to act a different way? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that's one of the things that irritates me the most is a lot of people will say, well, I don't understand why she just didn't fight back or I don't understand why she just didn't leave and da 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 And it's not that simple. When this is your mom and, and this is all you know. Shit. Yeah. She's weak as shit, and her mom had her confined. Her mom had her believing she was four years younger than she was. Yeah. And, and she just couldn't understand the freedom she had, I guess. I don't yeah, know. absolutely. And, you know, like I said, this is your mom. So even, even if you think, like, this isn't right, you're still going to trust your mom, you know, until you're older. I mean, as a teenager and a kid. Gypsy said that she did try to run away one time, but, you know, Gypsy had no clue about anything outside her home or her mom, and Dee Dee was easily able to find her within a few hours. After that, Gypsy said, quote, she physically chained me to the bed and put bells on the doors and told, 
anybody that I probably wouldn't have, would have trusted that I was going through a phase and to tell her if I was doing anything behind her back. She chained her to her bed. That but, is. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm floored. I know. This is wild. But teens have their ways. <laughs> and eventually, Gypsy got her hands on a laptop. And in 2012, she joined a Christian dating site where she met Nicholas Godijan. He lived in Wisconsin, which was about 600 miles from her. But they continued to talk online. They talked and talked and talked. And they... I'll, I'll, I'm going to say that about a year into the relationship, Gypsy confessed to him about all of her medical issues and how they weren't real. I'm not sure how much she knew at this point. She definitely knew she could walk and she knew she didn't need a feeding tube. And people asked why she went along with it. But again, it was her mom and the emotional manipulation and the fear going on. And Gypsy said, I was so young. I believed that she knew best. I didn't question it. And you wouldn't. No, if your mom's telling you that you need this stuff, you're going to believe her. Yeah, even if you could walk, you're like, well, maybe something's wrong, you know. Yeah, like maybe she's right. Like maybe it's all in my head. And like you said, the fear, like if I stand yeah. up to try and walk, I'm going to fall and hurt myself. Or even, you know, what repercussions is Didi going to have for me? Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, Gypsy and Nick fell in love and decided to meet up for the first time in March of 2015 at a movie theater in Springfield, Missouri. They figured that if it looked like they just oop, bumped into each other and met that way, that Dee Dee would be more on board than if she found out they had been talking online behind her back for a year. So they decided to go see Cinderella. So Gypsy asked her mom if she could, if they could go see Cinderella and Dee Dee and Gypsy went and Gypsy was dressed as Cinderella. Are you talking about like the live action one? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. And Nick was going to dress as Prince Charming and meet them there. Well, Dee Dee was not a fan. And I do understand this at this point. I do get this because to Dee Dee, this is a strange boy dressed up as Prince Charming to come see Cinderella bugging his, her daughter who looks to be disabled, you know, mentally and physically. And she's just like, who is this perv like going around my daughter? Yeah. Especially because she looked super young too. Yeah. yeah. So I get where Dee Dee was like, no thanks. But Gypsy thought Dee Dee was jealous of the attention she was giving Nick saying she got jealous because I was spending a little too much attention on him and she had ordered me to stay away from him. And needless to say, that was a very long argument that lasted a couple of weeks. Yelling, throwing things, calling me names, bitch, slut, whore. So Dee Dee was not happy. This is where Gypsy kind of said enough and decided that she wanted her mother dead. Uh... <laughs> yeah. The names. You don't call your child oh. those names. Oh, I know. I know. Like, are you kidding me? That was probably the least of the things that Dee Dee did, you know? Holy mother effer. I know. You don't do that. I know. I can't imagine. So Gypsy asked Nick 
to kill her mom. And Nick said, sure. And then on a Christian website? Yes, Christian dating site. So Nick had several issues of his own. He had what he he claims he had different personalities, one being a five-year-old, 500-year-old vampire named Victor. And I think him and Gypsy kind of played into that darker side of his personality. Yeah. Nick said that he first discovered an alternate personality when he was 18. He would also reference his evil side quite often, almost as if it was like a different person. He I'm would even- sorry. I'm I'm sorry. I just <laughs> multiple personality disorder. That is fair. I get that. A 500 year old vampire. Yeah. Like if you have DID, it's DID, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have personalities that are meant to protect you. Yeah. And shield you from a traumatic event that happened in your youth. Mm-hmm. Not a 500-year-old vampire. I think he just liked the thought of it. He would even go on to say that his evil side enjoys killing. <gasps> so I think he just kind of liked the... I don't even know, like the bad... I mean, you know how society looks at vampires. Like, they're very sexy, romantic, bad boys, you know? What year was this? This was 2015. So it wasn't even like it was Twilight. When did Twilight come out? Pretty sure when I was in high school. Yeah, so this is post-Twilight. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not even like it was at the height. Oh, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Like where it was like obsessive, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's insane. Yeah. And while he wasn't diagnosed with dissociative identity disorder, he was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder level two, which, quote, requires substantial support with accompanying intellectual impairment. So his IQ was 82, and he had delays that put him functioning at about the same level as a 10-year-old. Okay. So all of this, accompanied by his want to save his girlfriend, made killing Dee Dee the only choice for him. So on June 9th, 2015, Nick arrived in Springfield, checked into a hotel, and waited for nightfall. Once it was night, and Gypsy confirmed that Dee Dee was in bed, Nick came to the house. Gypsy gave him gloves, duct tapes, and a knife before she went and hid in the bathroom. Nick went into Dee Dee's room and began stabbing her. Gypsy said, I heard her scream once, and there was more screaming, but not like the kind in a horror film, just like a startled scream. And she asked, who was it that was in the bedroom? And she called out my name to about three or four times. And at that point I wanted to go help her so bad, but I was so afraid to get up. It's like my body wouldn't move. Then everything just went quiet. So how old was Nick? Um, in 2015, he would have been, I don't know. Let me look. Sorry. No, you're fine. 
Okay, thanks to Jessica. She found out that he was born in 1989. So he was 26 at this point. <laughs> He's 26, y'all. Anyways, okay, so the only reason I asked about his age was due to the fact that not saying anything bad about this particular aspect of a human being, but she was a bigger lady. Yeah. Right? And like I said, I don't know much about any of this. I just remember that this like lanky kid played him in the act, I think. I mm-hmm. didn't watch I didn't watch the movie because I don't mm-hmm. have Hulu. But it just seems like it's a lot of anger and hatred for somebody. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to know what his age was because if he was like a kid basically, then it's mm-hmm. like holy shit. Mm-hmm. But he was almost my age. Yeah. Yeah. And I've got some quotes from him in here too. After Nick finished, he and Gypsy had sex on Gypsy's bed. And, oh, no. Yeah. And then they left for the hotel. And there's actually a video you can look up of the two of them in the hotel kind of talking afterwards. And it looks like the type of video that you would make if you were on your honeymoon. Then, you know, they're talking like, oh, I love you. And da, 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 da. So after Gypsy, after. Gypsy said she felt all kinds of things. She said it would come in times of happiness, little spurts of happiness, but I would have breakdowns or I'd start crying, feeling remorse, guilt, and at the same time, also missing her at the same time, worrying about what, what I'd just done. Like she's gone, said Gypsy. Nick said, I felt horrible about it. When me and her were in the hotel room, she kept on telling me, stop crying, stop crying. There's no reason to cry. It was my idea. It wasn't yours. Go to John told 2020 in an exclusive interview from jail. Gypsy comforted me about it. I prayed once I got there. I tried to get her mother's soul to forgive me. I I did what I did because I loved her. I really wanted a life with her. I really did, he said. For several days. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. No, you're fine. (laughs) A lot of interruptions, but that's really sad. Yeah. You know, especially knowing his cognitive impairment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that already. Yeah. 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 Knowing that, especially, it's just like, like holy crap. Mm-hmm. For several days after Gypsy and Nick lived relatively normal lives, they were seen on surveillance cameras all around town, even including one at Walmart while they were grocery shopping. Gypsy said, that it never crossed her mind that she would get caught. She said, I honestly didn't think we were going to get caught. Five days later, according to Gypsy, she couldn't stand the thought of her mom's body just laying there. She wanted her to be buried. So she wanted her to be found. (gasps) So she posted on Dee Dee and Gypsy's joint Facebook account, the bitch is dead. Then holy shit, that this body is rotting there for five days. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, like nobody thought to check on them. They were so secluded. You know, she didn't work, so it's not like she had a job looking for her. You know, they didn't really have too many friends because Didi kept it all secluded. (gasps) That is insane. Yeah. Then another message appeared on the page and it said, I fucking slashed that fat pig and raped her sweet, innocent daughter. Her scream was so fucking loud. LOL. 
So I think the thought behind this was the first one was that Gypsy wanted someone to go check on Dee Dee to find her body. I think the second one was to make it so that it didn't seem like Gypsy had anything to do with it. Well, yeah, like it was kind of like a break in. Mm-hmm. But your burglar doesn't do it to a joint account. Yes, right. <laughs> like, seriously? So these Can't messages say. obviously worried Dee Dee's friends, the few that she had, and they called the police to have them do a welfare check where police finally found the body of Dee Dee Blanchard. She was oh. stabbed 17 times in the back. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. At the time, Gypsy was just considered missing. They didn't know, you know, they didn't know what happened. They just found Dee Dee dead. And the police and community knew nothing of Gypsy's situation other than she was a very chronically ill little girl. And they were worried for what they believed was an incredibly sick child who needed tons of medication to live. They were worried that the murderer took her and she would die without her medication. Then Aaliyah, remember Gypsy's one friend that she had, mentioned that Gypsy had an online boyfriend that she had been talking to secretly and that their relationship was getting serious. I have a question. (laughs) Yes. I have a question. Yes. So, like I said, I know bullet points. Mm -hmm. So, I saw a clip from the act Mm -hmm. where... Gypsy was at like a doctor's office, and the doctor was like, "I I don't think that you're sick." Like, it just it is it's so hard to wrap your head around it. Like, how did she find out? You know. Well, like I said, I think part of it was that she knew, like she knew her mom was shaving her head. She knew she could walk. She knew she could eat and didn't need a feeding tube. You you know, how do you know that if that's what, if that's all you're led to believe? Well, because she could physically get up and walk. You know what I mean? But who even thinks to do that if you know that you, like, if you're led to believe that you can't? Yeah. I'm not sure. And I know in the act, I don't know how real this is because I haven't read it anywhere else, but in the act, it showed her finding her birth certificate and figuring out that she was older than her mom had said she was. So I think that was another kind of lie that Gypsy figured out. If if we're to if believe it's true, the true, because you says, said that the stuff was like destroyed. Well, no, that's what Dee Dee said. Oh. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh. Also, police trace the IP address of the person who posted that on Facebook back to Nick go to John's house. And lo and behold, they found Nick and Gypsy there and it shocked them because Gypsy was up and walking around, which they thought she was still in a wheelchair. In July of 2016, Gypsy pleaded guilty to second degree murder and was sentenced to 10 years in prison. She said, there's a big difference between someone who asks someone to kill someone and someone that actually does it because I would never kill somebody. I would never physically go through with killing someone. I can't. Of go to John, Gypsy said, I don't hate him. I feel sorry for him. And just that somebody could do something so heartless and not express remorse and not feel like he's responsible for it. He was very much like my mother in certain ways. And I feel like I was trained my whole life to do as I was told. 
But wasn't she the one that asked him to do it? Yeah. So this is where some theories start to swirl about how because Gypsy was manipulated her whole life, she now is really good at manipulation. And there's theories saying that they think she wanted to kill her mom. She knew Nick would do it. She had him do it. And then she basically turned on him to save herself. So kind of manipulated him into this situation. And because of his cognitive impairment, he went along with it. Oh, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. I know because I can see it just by the way she, she turns it around and says, you know, there's a big difference between someone who asked someone to kill. Like she's completely turning it around onto him. But if all you know your whole life is manipulation, yeah, you're not going to think twice. It's, it's true. Mm-hmm. But like, take some responsibility. Yeah. Nick pled not guilty, but a jury disagreed and a judge sentenced him to life in prison without parole and then 25 years added on to that for armed criminal action. They, of course, have filed several appeals, one saying that he had ineffective counseling and one saying that his mental state did not meet the requirements for first-degree murder, which I agree. I cannot believe he got sentenced to prison. Like, Yeah. He he has the mentality of a 10-year-old. Like, he can't understand. And he literally has a diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing that bugs me the most is that because, you know, you look at it, he has the cognitive ability of a 10-year-old. 10-year-olds want to please. Yeah. They want to, you know, they want to get that approval. Yeah. He's going to do what he's asked. Absolutely. And he's also got, obviously, a lot of other dark things going on in his head. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of other issues there. Yeah, he has a 500-year-old vampire up Exactly. There. Like, I can't believe that that he was sentenced to life in prison that's insane and it's just insane to me because he i i understand he's the one that carried it out right but he's not the one who planned it yeah i think obviously had he not met gypsy he wouldn't have killed Dee. however i don't know that i necessarily think he would have never killed i mean it didn't take much this yeah, time right exactly. so somebody else would have taken advantage of his mental capacity and yeah i definitely think he's thing. a threat to society and should be locked away but i think it shouldn't be in prison yeah yeah while in prison gypsy worked toward her ged and her stepmom christy and gypsy said that gypsy was thriving in prison she said despite everything she still tells me that she's happier now than with her mom and that if she had the choice to either be in jail or back with her mom she would rather be in jail jail for gypsy it's a lot of freedom which says a lot about how controlling her mom was gypsy has since said that she does regret killing her mom and that she should be in prison instead of dead she said she was a sick woman and unfortunately i wasn't educated enough to see that she deserved to be where I am, sitting in prison, doing time for criminal behavior. After the show Mommy Dead and Dearest came out, a man named Ryan Scott Anderson reached out to Gypsy in prison. They started as pen pals, then he started visiting, and eventually 
On June 27, 2022, they got married. Gypsy was granted parole in September of 2023 and released on December 28, 2023, after serving about 85% of her sentence. Since her release, Gypsy has found a huge following on TikTok with people singing her praises, but just as quickly, people started canceling her for an interview she did where she says that she doesn't want to keep having to remind people every single time that she is not the one who committed the act to kill. She says, I am a part of it, but I didn't actually do the killing. So now people are saying, well, she's not taking responsibility and they're starting to cancel her. But the thing is, like, this girl went from being so abused emotionally, physically, and so isolated to prison to being an overnight TikTok star. Like these extremes going from the extreme isolation to extreme stardom. And I'm pretty sure she has a lifetime documentary coming out. So she has cameras following her all the time. That can't be healthy. No. And you also have to think about the fact that, you know, she was living as, she was living four years younger. Yeah. That I remember a therapist once said that, you know, some people, they might be older, but if they had a lot of trauma in their younger years, they're going to revert back to that mental state. Yeah. Right? Like the state of being a teen. hmm And like you said, there's so much pressure. hmm And so much that's happening. Like, you know, she was out of jail and immediately the cameras were on top of her. Absolutely. Like she was being photographed buying shoes for yeah. crying out loud. Like just... Yeah, and I let the woman be for a minute. Absolutely, let her figure out her. You know, because before she went to jail, there wasn't TikTok, there wasn't these social media influencers. She has no idea what that life is like. She has no idea how people are on the internet, how awful they are. You know, well, and phones were just phones weren't even the same. Yeah. I mean, the girl, I just looked it up. The girl has 9.9 million followers on TikTok. Holy shit. Yeah. As for Nick, this is what he has said on the murder. He said, I would have done it again. I might have done it differently, but I would have done it again. I couldn't see Gypsy suffer anymore. On his relationship with Gypsy, he said, those were probably the best days of my life. I enjoyed every second of it. From the very beginning, I knew we were soulmates. Those five days I was physically with her were the most intense and magical and awe-inspiring days I have ever had. That's really sad. I know. On his DID, the very second I put my foot down, I had one of those moments that you might only have once in your lifetime. It was an angel and devil. First, the angel spoke. It actually said, take her and run. And then you had the other part of me, that darn devil. What he ended up telling me was, this bitch is dead. I got so darn enraged that something inside of me clicked. Unfortunately, that part of me wanted to come out for a very long time. And the very first opportunity it got, it didn't waste any time. That dark shadow part of me that really is triggered by anger. Once that anger clicks, I see red. On not having control of himself while he was murdering D.D., She ended up asking me, who are you? And I said, I'm your effing nightmare. (sighs) On what they did after the murder. 
according to Nick, he and Gypsy had sex in Gypsy's bedroom. And then he asked Gypsy to clean up the blood from a wound on his finger while naked, a sexual fantasy of his that resulted in the two having sex just minutes after her mother was brutally murdered. Uh, He remains optimistic for his appeal. He said, there is something better waiting for me. There is a better verdict waiting for me. I wasn't surprised about the verdict, he added. There was a shock at first, but then I got over the shock. And that is the story of Gypsy Rose. (laughs) I wish you look at I wish people could see my face. The face. What the fuck? Yeah. It's it's insane. I felt bad for him up until that last little bit. I think I think he's just Aside from his cognitive impairment, I think he just has a lot of mental issues going on. I think he loved Gypsy with every part of his being, and he wanted to save her. He wanted to be the hero. I just don't like that they had sex right after. Yeah. I don't like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's not that's me being not a great. prude. No, I just, no, like, no, that's not great. <laughs> there are better things you could do. At least wait till you get to the hotel. Like her really? body in, in the, the room. room. Literally rocking. Yeah. yeah. So Ew. I don't know. I just, this whole story is extremely sad. There's no winners or losers in this. Well, I mean, there is a losers, but there's no winners in this. Um, not losers like they're losers, meaning like they lost, you know. <laughs> Dee Dee lost her life. Gypsy lost her childhood. Nick also lost his life to prison. So it's just it's just a horrible story. And I think that's why it's gripped society the way it has. That's why there's so many documentaries and movies and everything, because oh. no one has seen this level of Munchausen by proxy ending in murder. That's the thing. There's so many layers to it. Yes, absolutely. It's kind of like Stockholm Syndrome, too. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, well yeah. thanks for enlightening me on yeah. that. Yeah. That. I am. Um, like I said, yeah, I knew the bullet points, but yeah. not the specific details. So that yeah, was kind of. That's kind of gross. <laughs> yeah. Didn't enjoy that, but. I mean, if you're listening, Gypsy, you can uh, come on the podcast and tell us some things if you'd like. We won't pay you, but. <laughs> <laughs> but you can still come. Yeah. <laughs> we're a, we're a hoot. <laughs> Too bad we can't get Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> right? Oh, my God. This man is insane. Yeah. Okay? This man is crazy. I I wrote. <laughs> I wrote the title Edgar Allan Poe, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I said, don't meet your heroes. <laughs> oh, no. So I'm going to have to. One moment. It was such a cough for a minute, guys. It's all good. I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> so on January 19th, 1809, 1809, 17th century bitches, Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, gosh. I already fucked up. Edgar Poe 
Okay. Edgar Poe. How fucked up is that? It's just weird without the Allen. Eddie Poe. Yeah. Uh, he was born into the traveling theatrical family. So his parents were actors, Eliza and David Poe. His father abandoned the family when Edgar was just a baby, leaving Eliza to care for their, their three small children. <laughs> and tragedy struck when Eliza developed tuberculosis and lived in Richmond, for Richmond, Virginia, I think. For the final few months of her life. At the age of 24, she passed away on December 8th, 1811, leaving her three children behind. Do you realize that that's close to you? Richmond, Virginia? It is. It is close to me. Um, Not far away at all. Really? Yeah. Like maybe 30 minutes? No. I think so. No. Are you kidding me? Two and a half hours, you donkey. Uh-uh. Yeah. Really? Yeah, really. Richmond, Virginia, huh? I just looked it up on Google. Oh. Oh, you're right. <laughs> I'm dumb. I was going to say, why didn't we go to him? Why didn't we go to his house? I think I was thinking of Reston, Virginia. Well, that sucks for you. <laughs> John and Francis Allen of Richmond took in two-year-old Edgar. Edgar's ongoing conflicts with his foster father were the reason he was never formally adopted by them. Which is kind of sad. Instead of adopting their last name, he went by Edgar Allen Poe. Poe relished the life of the upper-class elite when he was a youngster. A young Edgar Allan Poe accompanied the Revolutionary War General. This is so freaking cool. He followed Marquis de Lafayette around Ooh. Richmond, Virginia in 1824 as a member of a junior honor color guard. How freaking cool is that? That's really cool. Yeah. Lafayette and the color guard paid the Each family who had aided in the American Revolution a visit to Richmond's old stone house. Poe watched over the house from the front stairs. The old stone house was transformed into the Poe Museum 98 years later, which is really cool. Edgar went to Charlottesville, Virginia to attend the University of Virginia, UVA, when he was 17 years old. Elmira Royster, his fiance, vowed that they would postpone getting married until after graduation. Edgar encountered difficulties at UVA almost right away. Despite being a good student, he had only brought $110 to college with him. Oh, no. He chose to gamble in, oh, order, no. to, <laughs> in order to raise the remaining money because UVA's tuition was three times that amount. Oh. Edgar, on the other hand, created $2,000 of debt. Oh, Eddie, Eddie, Eddie. <laughs> I had an ex named Eddie. Ew. <laughs> he is actually a really good person. And he's oh, good. Gorgeous. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, that's funny. He was disappointed when he returned to Richmond from UVA after only a few months there and carried on his argument 
with his foster father because, you know, he fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. And $2,000 back then is a lot of money. Holy shit. Yeah. And unfortunately, Elmira had become engaged to somebody else. (gasps) Only made the situation worse. It's not her fault. Oh, okay. Because her father had read through Edgar's letters while he was away at UVA and had pointed her towards another man who made the unfulfilling promise to be a well-respected citizen and prosperous businessman. Ooh. Then Poe relocated to Boston, uh, which I'm sorry, Bostonians. I don't like Boston. Oh, really? Why? I don't know. We were there once, and I hated all the one-way streets. Our GPS was being a fucking lunatic. (laughs) (laughs) And it was just awful. We were stuck in... I don't know if you've watched, like, the Christmas... Like, not the Christmas... The Lampoon's Vacation movies, where they were, like, stuck in the roundabout for forever. (laughs) No, I haven't. That was us. We went to Boston for, like, 24 hours, but we didn't drive through it, and I really liked it. We did, and we got stuck in rush hour traffic. Oh. We we also went to the aquarium, and it was so disappointing. Yeah, I wasn't super impressed with it either, but I did like the big old octopus. He was I don't know if I saw him, but it was, like, $60. I was, like, it was expensive, okay, for what it was. And then I think we ended up paying like $60 for the parking garage. <laughs> you hate paying for parking. I do. <laughs> so this bitch. And I hate parking garages. <laughs> this bitch. <laughs> lives in Canada. I know exactly where you're going with this. And when she had her baby, <laughs> the birth is free, right? Free. Yeah. Well, and she was pissed off that they had to pay $25 for the parking no, garage. No, I paid $60. Oh, $60 for the parking. Do you know how much I paid to have my baby? It was $60 for four days of parking. That's insane. I paid $4,000 to have my baby. Oh, boo fucking who? But I did get free parking. <laughs> also, you have benefits. Benefits? What do you mean? Like insurance? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. With insurance, I paid $4,000. Yeah. Well, you know what? It was like forty thousand dollars, and that's with outrageous. insurance, I paid for. I don't. Yeah. That's outrageous. That's I have crazy. thoughts on that, and I don't want to get into it. So, <laughs> anyways, yeah, I hate parking, paying for parking. <laughs> but we were out. We also went to Wahlburger. Oh yeah, and the parking lot that we were in was so fucking weird, and like. We parked there for free, but I think we had to pay for parking. And I was so nervous because it goes by the license plate or something. I'm like, I don't know what to fucking do. (laughs) (laughs) Because I think it also shared a parking lot with, like, the train or something. Oh, okay. So, I don't know. But I never got the bill for it. You're probably not allowed in Boston anymore for unpaid parking. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Probably not allowed in D.C. either. We never got the bill for, like, the, the paid road. Oh, yeah. On our way through. We never got the bill. You know what's funny? I've done that a couple times and I've never, they don't, they haven't sent it. But then like one time they did. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. It's like hit or miss. So fucking weird. Anyways. So he moved to Boston. (laughs) (laughs) But he didn't remain there long because he didn't like it either. (laughs) (laughs) He also had to pay for parking his horse. Yeah. (laughs) I can't. (laughs) 
He used the alias a Bostonian to publish his first poetry collection, and it was called Tamer Lane and Other Poems. So a lot of the times he's not even credited for his first work because he didn't use his name. Gotcha. Poe enlisted in the army as Edgar Perry when he was 18 years old. And he performed remarkably well in the army, becoming a sergeant major within just two years. Oh, wow. Is that good? I don't know, but it sounds good. (laughs) It sounds impressive. After that, he attended West Point. Oh, that is good. Yeah, where he performed well academically, but he encountered financial difficulties again. Oh, Eddie. He also hated it there. (laughs) But his foster father wouldn't let him leave because he was a hard ass. So he sought out how to get himself exposed. By the time he was expelled, he had accrued 200 demerits and offenses. (laughs) In addition, he had persuaded his fellow students to contribute $1 apiece to support his upcoming book of poems, which he intended to dedicate to them. Okay. And after that, he moved to Baltimore. Dude, if, like, one of my classmates came up to me and was like, hey, can I have probably, like, what? A dollar. 20 bucks. Oh, nowadays. yeah. 20 bucks is I'm going to dedicate a book of poems that I wrote to you. I'd be like, mm, no thanks. Mm, yeah. <laughs> he was very, I'm assuming he was very charismatic. Yeah. As and he I was keep, odd. I keep picturing him as my ex. So I'm like... Picturing him being very nice looking. So That's I'm really trying funny. to look up young Edgar Allan Poe and I found a picture and he's not. He never he, was. No. He also shared a home with other family members in Baltimore. It's in Maryland, right? Yes. Okay. Including his aunt Maria Clem and her daughter, Virginia. Oh no, poor Virginia Run. Poe switched from composing poetry to short stories while he was a Baltimore resident for four years. The Richmond, Virginia-based Southern Literary Messenger was one magazine that showed a particular interest in him. Poe released Berenice, which was so gory and horrifying that the journal had numerous reader complaints. (laughs) And Metz Zengerstein which is regarded as his debut horror story. Poe received an author, an offer from author. (laughs) He received an offer from editor Thomas White to work for The Messenger. So Poe returned to Richmond after he agreed to that, which good on him. Yeah. Finally has a job. (laughs) Poe and White started having problems shortly after Poe joined the Southern Literary Messenger. It's possible that his drinking was the cause of these problems. Oh, Eddie. Poe asked Maria and Virginia, his aunt and cousin, to move in with him in Richmond. Poe and Virginia then tied the knot a year later. He was 27. Mm. And she was 13 years old. And as I mentioned at the beginning of our episode, they falsified her age as 21. 
I hate that so much. Yeah. There's a lot of discussion over the nature of their relationship, despite the odd pairing. Poe called Maria Muddy, which is mother, and Virginia Sissy frequently. But it sounds it sounds like he was kind and like a good a good husband to her. As he's raping her. Yeah. We will never find out what transpired <laughs> in their marriage behind closed doors, despite the fact that a lot of people now assume the relationship was familial. For Poe, Virginia and Maria provided stability and comfort. You know how else you can get that? Just living with your family? Like, you don't have to marry them. When they were with him, he appeared to be happy and more responsible. Yeah. Yeah, you can do that without marriage, but yeah. Poe left Richmond and the Southern Literary Messenger in 1837. He lived in Philadelphia starting in 1838 and relished his golden years as a writer. Poe's works include The Telltale Heart, the Murders in the Rue Morgue, The Pit and the Pendulum, The Black Cat, The Telltale Heart Again, <laughs> The Fall of the House of Usher, and more. <gasps> Have you seen that series? No, because... <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> I heard that, and I thought it was about the singer, Usher. Dude, I did it first, too, <laughs> so I'm not going to mock you for that. <laughs> So, no. <laughs> it's really, really good. Is it? Yeah, it's real spooky. Oh, cool. Yeah, On you Netflix? should watch it. I think it is, yeah. Okay. Is it kind of like the um, the haunting of... Yeah, like it's that kind of genre. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, but not as... Not as, as like ghosty. jump scare? Oh, not okay. as ghosty. Okay. No, there's not like a lot of jump. Well, there's a couple jump scares, yeah, but it's more just like spooky. Like okay, like suspenseful. Yeah, like just kind of like family curses, that kind of stuff. Okay, cool. Anyways, I'd crawl and poe. Yeah. The fact that the murders in the room morgue was the first contemporary detective story makes it especially significant. Poe is the first to describe a quirky genius who solves enigmatic murders. Who does that sound like? My next point. Poe's C. Auguste Dupin is credited by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle as a literary model for his Sherlock Holmes persona. Love that. That's cool. Which is so weird because you never hear of Poe as being the one... That started that up. It's always Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Well, probably because Poe was the inspiration for it, but not the one who did it. You know what no, I mean? but he did because Murders in the Room Morgue had C. Auguste Dupin, which, which is was, what Sir Arthur Arthur Conan yeah. Doyle based Sherlock Holmes on. Yeah, but anyways, yeah. also fun fact: Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was a spy. In the war. Oh, that's cool. I, I don't know which one. <laughs> the. Or. No. I'm getting my people mixed up. Oh. It's the guy that wrote the Bond series. Oh, uh, okay. He used to be a spy, I think. 
Anyways, super cool. Mm-hmm. Poe was also a science fiction pioneer in his early years. And it's interesting to see that comedy make up, makes up most of his stories. Oh. Which, not familiar. No, I've <laughs> never heard any of Edgar Allan Poe's comedy. No. Poe wrote across numerous genres, but his most well-known work is the horror one. Poe transformed the genre. He was among the pioneers in incorporating profound, instinctive, and psychological terror. He frequently penned tales in which the true monster was each person's innate ability for evil and the consequences of acting on that capacity. Hmm. Poe's most well-known work is... The Telltale Heart? No. Any other guesses? Oh, the one with the raven. It's literally called the raven. Oh, okay, the raven. (laughs) (laughs) He he became an overnight celebrity after this poem, which was published in the first few months of 1845. Edgar Allan Poe is well-known in literary circles before... That's weird. That sentence makes no sense. <laughs> Anyways, the Raven basically made him a household name. None of that sentence made any sense to me. Poe <laughs> <laughs> only gained around $15 for the publishing of The Raven, but its widespread popularity opened up avenues for income, such as taking on literary clients and doing lectures and recitations. Oh. Poe was the first writer in America to support himself solely from his literary profits, which is weird. It is weird. However, he battled to provide for his family and himself financially throughout the majority of his adult life. Probably was gambling and drinking. Drinking. Unfortunately, his wife, Virginia, had developed tuberculosis symptoms by this point. Which, if you remember, his mom also died of tuberculosis. She passed away in 1847 while the couple were residing in New York, having been ill for several years. And she passed away at the age of 24, which was also the age that his mother passed away from tuberculosis. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Poe never fully bounced back after her death, and it was clear that he needed her emotional and psychological assistance. He started to drift back south towards Richmond, the city of his youth. Poe resumed his boyhood romance with wealthy widow Elmira Royster Shelton while he was in Richmond. Just kind of fun. In 1849, she and Poe got engaged again. Much to her children's dismay. (laughs) This man cannot win. (laughs) Poe intended to live permanently with Elmira in Richmond. And in order to return his mother-in-law, Maria, to Richmond, he organized a journey to New York. While traveling up the coast, he also had a client appointment in Philadelphia. This is where it starts getting weird. Okay. (laughs) On September 26th, 1849, 
It was Poe's last day in Richmond. Elmira was concerned about his well-being at this point because he had been quite poorly following an episode of cholera. Oh. She suggested that Poe see his friend who became a doctor. So he did. But it was more of a social visit. (laughs) And he ate dinner at Sadler's restaurant after it turned dark. The next day, in 1849 again, because obviously it's the next day, (laughs) at four in the morning, Poe sailed to Baltimore. Or, yeah, he sailed to Baltimore, even though he's not supposed to be going to Baltimore, you dumb shit. (laughs) Poe was discovered delirious in a Baltimore bar called Gunner's Hall on October 3rd, and that was election day. Oh. He was dressed in terribly unclean, rundown clothes that were clearly not his own clothes. Oh. And he was unable or he didn't want to give an explanation as to his current situation. So he was either incapable or unwilling. I wonder if he got in some bad debt with some gamblers or something that he couldn't pay. So good thought. It was eventually discovered that Poe had never arrived in Philadelphia and that nobody had seen him in the six days that had passed since his departure. He could nevertheless express one thing in spite of it all. He was only able to think clearly long enough for his finder, Joseph Walker, who was a local typesetter for the Baltimore Sun, to give him a name, Joseph E. Snodgrass who was an editor friend of Poe's, who also happened to have some medical expertise. That is a very unfortunate last name. Yeah. Snodgrass. Fortunately, Walker was able to reach Snodgrass by note. And it said, There is a gentleman, rather the worse for wear, at Ryan's fourth ward polls, who goes under the cognomen? Cognomen? I'm just gonna say that goes under the alias. There we go. <laughs> I was quoting it by quote. Okay, I was going like word for word. That's a <laughs> stupid word of Edgar A. Poe, and who appears in great distress. And he says he is acquainted with you, and I assure you he is in need of immediate assistance. <laughs> oh, no. Oh no, Eddie. Imagine getting that. (laughs) After several hours, Snodgrass showed up with Poe's uncle in tow. They couldn't account for Poe's actions or his absence, and neither could any of his other family members. He was brought to Washington University Hospital. He was in and out of consciousness for the next four days, shouting at nothing and no one at times, and sometimes he was cognizant. Oh, I wonder if he just had, like, a mental break. Maybe. Maybe. He had gone through a lot. Yeah. Though none of his friends or family recognized the name, he screamed out for somebody named Reynolds repeatedly. And historians also haven't been able to locate a Reynolds in his life either. 
So nobody knows who the fuck this guy is. Hmm. In addition, he mentioned a wife in Richmond, even though he had not yet wed his fiance. And his previous wife had obviously passed away more than a year prior. On October 7th, 1849, Edgar Allan Poe passed away. His cause of death was given by the doctor as phrenitis, which is an inflammation of the brain. And it's a term that was typically used when the actual cause of death was unknown. Kind of like a catch-all term. And since his death, his medical records have since disappeared, and nobody has been able to find out where they went. <gasps> He's alive, and he lives on an island with Elvis. Oh, my God, baby. He's a vampire, 500-year-old <laughs> vampire. He's got to be, man, because he'd be, what, 180-something, 190? <laughs> yeah, I don't even know. Poe's demeanor and these enigmatic circumstances have led to a great deal of conjecture over the actual reason of his death. And to date, there have been over 26 published theories on his death. So I'm going to go. I would love at least one published thing on my death. (laughs) Right? Your obituary. Yeah, there we go. So I have some of these theories. Okay. And they're quite interesting. Okay. One of the most widely held beliefs, which Snodgrass himself endorsed, was that Poe drank himself to death. Mm. And his opponents continued to spread this claim in the months following his passing. I mean, that couldn't make sense. Like, if he drank so much that, you know, his liver was shot and he was, you know, that could, if he got an infection or something like that, you know, you get, it can alter your mental state. Absolutely. Some claim that he also fell victim to what's called cooping, So, basically, what cooping is, is voter fraud. It involved gangs kidnapping people on the street, forcing them to consume alcohol, and then transporting their inebriated victims to a voting site to cast several ballots for the same candidate. And to avoid suspicion, they would often have their prisoners change into new clothes or don disguises. Interesting. And you know that if that is what happened, all the friends are like, dude, you fucking did that to Edgar Allan Poe. We're so screwed. (laughs) Yeah. Well, if you remember, he wasn't wearing clothes that were his own. Yeah. Yeah. He was known for being a renowned lightweight. (laughs) And many of his friends said that he could become ill with just one glass of wine. Oh, wow. Supporting the idea that he overindulged, whether deliberately or accidentally. But according to a different doctor who examined Poe's post-mortem hair samples, he had been essentially abstaining from alcohol in the months prior to his death. Hmm. Yeah. Another theory involves when his body had been dug up and his remains had been examined numerous times in the following years of his passing. The majority of illnesses, including rabies or influenza, have been ruled out. But some researchers say that some researchers, I just saw the show Reacher. That's funny. (laughs) But some researchers contend that it is hard to establish that one of these illnesses didn't cause his death. Oh. 
Further examination of his postmortem hair samples produced no evidence, disproving any further claims involving poisoning of any kind. So he wasn't poisoned either. Hmm. This one is really cool. And I feel like this is the one that I believe the most. Okay. So I want to know what you think. Okay. Brain cancer. Hmm. There is a small incident when Poe was excavated to make room for him to be transported from his Baltimore tomb to a better one. Mm-hmm. The entire thing crumbled after spending 26 years underground due to significant structural degradation of his bones and the casket in which it was contained. An odd aspect of his skull was noted by one of the professionals who was in charge of reassembling the pieces. Something little and hard was rolling around in his skull. So they're thinking a brain tumor. Because even though the brain is one of the body's first organs to disintegrate, Brain tumors have been observed to calcify and persist in the skull even after death. Interesting. Yeah. I had no idea. That's crazy. Isn't that wild? Yeah. So expert confirmation of the brain tumor is still kind of pending, but it hasn't been refuted either. Okay. So... Interesting. That's the one I believe the most. Yeah, that sounds like, I mean, it's the only one that really has some proof to it. Another theory was that he was killed by his fiance's family. Oh. Oh. All right. (laughs) Because nobody wanted her to marry him. And apparently they were threatening him to break up with her. And he didn't. So then they killed him. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's his life and death of Edgar Allan Poe. I have some. I have some fun facts. Oh, okay. That that's I couldn't. Really, that's a really cool story, though. By the way. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. What do you like? What do you think killed him? I'm thinking the brain tumor. I'm thinking the brain tumor. Yeah, I am too, because that would explain a lot of his erratic behavior. Yeah. In the last few days. And if it wasn't caught and treated, obviously, because we're hanging out treated in the 17th century. Right, right. It would explain so much. Yeah. Yeah, it would. So I feel like that's probably what it was. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. After all that, I have some fun facts because I couldn't fit them in anywhere else. Okay. So because of the troubled relationship between him and his foster family, he never actually signed like his signature, oh. he never fully signed out Alan in Edgar Allan Poe. It was always like Edgar A. Poe. Oh. He also loved cats. And he usually worked with one sitting on his shoulder. That's cute. <laughs> and after his death, his mother-in-law found his cat had died as well. Oh. At a 2009 auction, one of the 12 surviving copies of Poe's first published work, Tamerlane and Other Poems from 1827, brought in $662,500. $662, yep. 
which is a record amount for a piece of American literature. I have been drinking people <laughs> with no food. So excuse me for not being able to read numbers. Numbers are hard. His cousin neglected to inform anybody. <laughs> so she said of his passing, by the way, I read her lips, but you couldn't hear it. <laughs> All these seven people attended his funeral. Even though he was a really well-known author. And his ceremony was only three minutes long. My gosh. Poor Edgar. Rufus Wilmot Griswold, Edgar Allan Poe's personal and professional foe, wrote the obituary for him. And in an effort to hide his identity, Griswold signed his harsh and defamatory biography of the late poet as Ludwig. Oh, man. But people found out who he was anyway. <laughs> Lizzie Dotton, a poet and spiritual medium, asserted that Poe's spirit graciously assisted her in writing multiple pieces for a while after his passing. She says she also got a hand from the ghosts of Robert Burns and William Shakespeare. Okay. 26 years after Poe's passing, his body was transferred. His body was then transferred to a desired location at the Westminster Burying Burying Grounds in Baltimore after being interred in an unmarked grave at his grandfather's family cemetery. There is currently a marker at the first burial ground designating the author's former resting place. Oh. And finally, the remains of Virginia were eventually interred next to her husband about 40 years after Aww. his passing. It was an unusual journey. Her bones had been collected by William Gill, one of the writer's biographers, who stored them in a box beneath his bed for several years before finally shipping them to Baltimore to be buried by her husband. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And my sources were Britannica, Poe Museum biography, and all this interesting. Thanks for that. That was super fascinating. Thanks. That was awesome. Thanks. Well, if you want more of us lovely ladies, you can find us on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And if you'd like to rate and review us, you can do so on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to bringing you two new stories next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.